chapter 29. You may have read uh, in the newspapers recently uh, about a fellow in Utah. Uh, his name is Bruce Jensen, and uh, he'd been married for four years, and his wife, uh, uh, they thought maybe she was kidnapped, and she supposed that it was cancer-stricken. And she turned out to be a healthy man. Now, if you can figure out how he was married four years and didn't figure this out, well, you're beyond me. I wonder about those kind of things. You know, I wonder about plumbing. You know, there is a difference. And so uh, I can't hardly grasp how this would all take place. But, uh, but at any rate, uh, he was astonished. As he found out he'd been married to a man for four years. Life is full of surprises. The least, not which is marriage. Many people marry, and as they marry, they don't face the circumstance that Bruce Jensen faced, but... As they enter into the marriage relationship, they have dreams of what this marriage is going to be and how it's going to turn out. And uh, before their eyes, they see this dream turn into a nightmare. And I want to minister this morning about such a marriage from the book of Genesis chapter 29. Uh, it's of a man named Jacob, beginning with verse 15. If you follow with me, this is one of the most interesting stories in the entire Bible. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you're my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate or weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I'll serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love uh, that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. Laban gathered together all the men of the place made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah, and he said to Laban, What is this that you've done to me? Why, uh, uh, was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It must not be uh, done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn, born, fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and uh, fulfilled her week, so he gave him his daughter Rachel, his wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bare a son. She called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. I want to preach to you this morning on when the dream turns into a nightmare. Now, here's a shattered dream. In this story, we have some serious questions that probably will not have answered uh, for eternity, but let's look at the scene here. 
Here's love at first sight. Jacob sees this, uh, this daughter of Laban, whose name is Rachel, and uh, as he sees her, this is love at first sight, and uh, it says uh, in the text uh, that uh, for uh, he served seven years so that he could make Rachel his wife, uh, and uh, the love that he had for her was so great that it just seemed like uh, that it was a day, that it just was no time at all, and so his, uh, the time is fulfilled. Now, the custom of, uh, of, uh, of, this, uh, of this land in this day was that when a marriage was consummated, the bride was brought to the, uh, the uh, husband uh, under, in, in the darkness and in silence. And so here we have this interesting story. As, uh, as this, uh, as this uh, uh, marriage is consummated, Uncle Laban makes a switch. And, uh, and uh, this is the ultimate bait-and-switch. And uh, so what he did was uh, he brought uh, Leah, and uh, when Jacob woke up the next morning and discovered what had happened, uh, he says, uh, uh, you know, what, what, what is this you're doing to me? I'm in love with Rachel. You've given me Leah, and, uh, and I've served seven years for her. And Laban says, settle down, son. It's our custom. We, we can't give... Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, younger daughter away, and uh, when the elder daughter is not married, uh, and uh, so this brings us some questions. You know, my mind. You know, did he? Was there no difference that he could tell in the girls? Uh, I, I'm, you know, I don't, I, I don't really know. And and uh, but uh, uh, didn't Leah know about? You know, didn't she, she? What was Leah's part in all of this? And and wasn't there any question? And I suppose that only eternity. We'll answer the, the problems that we have here, but the one thing we do know, that this was not a wedding uh, night kind of marriage. This was a loveless marriage. This is what we're looking at. And in Genesis 29, verse 30, the Bible says, Then Jacob uh, also went into Rachel and also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. If you have a, a revised King James, you will see that uh, this is trend, uh, or rather King James, rather, you'll find that in the margin it says he hated. This is, this is how this word is translated. And so in, in the New King James says he loved her more. So here this thing comes down. Here's the bait and switch. Uh, Uncle Laban uh, has, uh, has got, uh, has got uh, 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 Leah and Rachel. And, uh, and so what it says uh, in this uh, is that Rachel is beautiful. She's well-favored. She's, uh, she's got a cover girl body. She looks like Marilyn Monroe. And uh, she's the Marilyn Monroe uh, type. And he served seven years for her. And then when he's scammed, uh, it still doesn't deter him. He served seven more years because he's, he's madly in love with this girl. But the only thing it says about Leah is that she's weak-eyed. <laughs> Now, you have to understand that uh, men married wives in those days kind of like they bought horses. <laughs> they, wanted, uh, they wanted a strong body that could bear babies, uh, someone that could work hard and provide all the necessary tasks in the household, and, uh, and somebody uh, uh, that uh, uh, was productive. And so here's Leah. Nobody wants to marry Leah. That's why she's not married. And so here we have the situation we have this, this marriage, and you can imagine Leah's anguish in this marriage situation. She's tolerated, but she's not loved. In the book of Genesis 29 and verse 32 says, So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Now this is a great deal more common than many people think. See, they're dreams about marriage. And so uh, uh, many times these dreams of marriage are dissipated in the reality and the harsh reality of life. You know, if you, 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 if you listen to James Dobson and read any of his books, uh, why he talks about these fairy tale marriages, you know, Ruth and Boaz and Isaac and Rebecca. But these are illusory and they sound great uh, when you're writing a book. But in the arena of life, I want to tell you that more common than you think. The dream turns into a nightmare. Rachel was your dream, but Leah was reality. 
You fantasized about Tom Selleck, but you married Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> so here we have a marriage. The die is cast. The characters are put into this situation. They're bound in this. Uh, and so we need to examine very carefully this arena and the characters that are involved. Uh, and we need to examine something about faith because faith enables people who are in this kind of circumstance. Now, I want to warn you that what I'm talking about this morning is not politically correct. Also, many churchgoers, this is not correct with them, because they've taken on the culture of the world, they've taken on the moral uh, fiber of the world, and so this couple, if they would have, would have been married today, this couple uh, would not have made it in the, in, the, in the society that we have today. They would have said, we're in, incompatible. They would have said, uh, well, uh, this uh, marriage is not fulfilling. Uh, Leah would have said, well, I was forced into this. Uh, or she uh, would have said, I married the wrong person. I've heard that a number of times. Well, I really made a mistake. I married the wrong person. Well, that's too bad. You made the choice, and God says you make the choice. You did the, you, you did the crime, you do the time. That's what he says. And so this is how it all comes down. And so here we have, uh, uh, this, uh, uh, this is grounds for self-pity. Uh, this is grounds for bitterness. Uh, this would have even been grounds for adultery in the society and generation in which we live. Uh, Leah would have probably have said, well, uh, I'm, I'm out of here because this marriage is not uh, meeting my needs. Today, there's any and all excuses and imaginable uh, circumstances are used as a basis for dissolving a marriage bond, and we see that. But here's, a, here's a, an interesting insight, and the antidote to all this is faith in God. Now, I want you to, to, to take a look at this woman named Leah, because what we're looking at here is not resignation. What you're looking at is faith in that puts this circumstance in the hand of God. Three times in this text that I've read, it mentions directly, it relates to Leah and her faith in God. Now, it's very obvious that she had a progression in this. It tells us, first of all, she bore a son, and this son's name is, is, is named Reuben. And uh, the name literally means see a son. That's what the word Reuben means. And she said, because God is looking upon my affliction. She had an undergirding conviction. That undergirding conviction that there was a God that ruled in heaven above and in the earth beneath. We've been studying about God. Isn't it wonderful? Uh, the revelation that God gives you himself. What a comfort to your heart. When you take what God says and says, yes, God, I understand that. I believe that. I commit my life to it. Just tell me what I need to do. It solves many of the problems of life. So here we have Leah. And as she's, uh, as she's here, she bears this son. She's in anguish, undoubtedly. This is a, this is a, very, a, a very difficult situation to be in. Uh, here she's uh, uh, in a household. There's another woman who is also married to the husband that, that, uh, that she's married to. And uh, as she's married to this husband, this is an agonizing situation because every day there are events uh, that prove uh, that uh, Jacob loves Rachel and he just barely tolerates Leah uh, because uh, this is uh, the, the custom of the hour. He's bound in this and he must keep this commitment and he does this, but she knows she's not loved, but she's bound in this, but she bears his son. As she bears that son, she names his son, see his son or Reuben. And as she does that, she has the undergirding conviction that God is involved in this situation in spite of all the difficulty, and He cares about her, and He's watching what she's doing. Now, this woman has a tremendous uh, progression in her faith. She bears another son, and the second son that she bears, uh, she names Simeon, and she names him Simeon, or hearing, or the Lord hears. And she says, uh, 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 Simeon, the name uh, means hearing. And she says, because the Lord hears, uh, and she has an assurance uh, that God is hearing and answering prayer. 
There are many people in the circumstances of life, uh, and when, uh, uh, when the dream turns to a nightmare, uh, that's the last thing that they do. They never go to God in prayer and beseech God to intervene and lay hold of the circumstances of life. I want, to know, I want you to know this morning, God's God. God is God. He's a reality. He's not simply a theological concept that's hidden away somewhere in a religious library or, in, or contained in some kind of holy building. God is real. And as this woman, uh, she's now she's bearing another son. Time is uh, ticking on. The years are rolling on. She bears another son. She calls this son named Simeon or hearing because she says, uh, The Lord is hearing. And she has this assurance that God is hearing and answering her prayer. She bears another son. This son's name is Levi. And uh, this name literally means joined or attached. Now watch this. Because uh, uh, something happened to her here. And what happened to her, she came to the place uh, that she's committed to the permanence of this relationship. And she names this child uh, uh, joined or attached because she's come to the place. uh, She says, I'm making a commitment to this relationship and I'm committed to this permanence. I'm going to make this work. Now you'll be astonished what magic that works in a marriage relationship. When people finally come to the decision, cast out the excuses, never mind the belly aching, never mind the slimy reasoning that they use, never mind all the bitter criticism, never mind all the analysis they bring to it, never mind all the excuses, they just come to the place and they say in their heart, I'm going to make this work. That's where Leah came to, and she named this child Levi, joined or attached, because it literally means that she's committed to permanence, and we see there that she says she's going to make this work. You know, there are many people today, and they have no conviction that they're going to make the marriage work simply because of the sake of the children. I have a feeling that that this is working in Leah's life. You know, that's that's no excuse to make a marriage work today. Later for the children, we're going to do our thing. Can you say amen? This is a generation. We don't care about kids. Uh, Later for the kids, I'm going to get mine, and I'm going to get my pleasure now. And uh, it's invalid for a marriage to continue on simply on the basis uh, of what it's going to do to the kids and for the welfare of the kids. But I want to tell you in the Bible, uh, this is a very valid reason and, uh, and uh, uh, God gives this as a valid factor for staying married simply for the sake of the children. Then she has Judah. Judah, she names, now I will praise the Lord. She comes in the progression of her faith down through these stages because each of these names uh, tell us what's going on. She names the names, uh, and she names them because of certain stages in her life. uh, And she says, now I have Judah. And she says, now I will praise the Lord. Uh, And so what she's come to is a trust and a praise to God. Despite the situation, she's going to give praise to God and glorify God and honor Him as God regardless of what life has to hold for her. Now this is a tremendous revelation. You see, faith this morning has a but-if-not element. You see, many people have dreams. Most people who have dreams about marriage, it takes just about three days for those to dissipate. (laughs) Marriage is not bad. It's wonderful. It's good. But what makes it bad is that that suddenly we're living a life of selfishness, self-gratification, self-exaltation, self-interest, and when we enter marriage, uh, suddenly we're snatched into an arena where we no longer can live a selfish life without turmoil. And so there are many people who, when they marry, they enter that relationship, and uh, it doesn't turn out like they think it was going to turn out. Well, of course it didn't turn out like it like you thought it was going to turn out. You're blinded as a bat and stupid to begin with when you made all the decisions that you're making. And then after it happens, you want to blame God for it. Say, the Lord led me. He spoke to me. I, I felt God wanted me. Well, God, 
really doesn't have anything to do with it. He said, you choose, and after you've chosen, I choose. Whatever your choice is, I affirm that. I agree that that was the right choice. Now, you're going to live with that. You see, faith has to have a but if not element. Daniel chapter 3, verses uh, 16 through 18, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If, uh, that, if this, that is the case, uh, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, uh, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now here's what faith does, and this same element also operates in marriage. These three Hebrew children said, uh, you can go ahead and throw us in there, but I want you to know that God's able to deliver us, but if He does not deliver us, doesn't change anything. We're still going to serve God and believe God. Now, that but-if-not element uh, needs to be in the marriage relationship, and people who enter marriage need to have that element of faith, but-if-not. Because... When they get married, they're equipped for a happy marriage. Uh, they have dreams. Uh, they've seen movies. They've read books. Uh, they've, uh, they've read romance novels. Uh, and they have uh, all these dreams uh, of these fantastic uh, uh, marriages they're going to have. Uh, and so they get married, uh, and they're equipped for ha- uh, happily ever after. However, you need to bring to that marriage relationship, but if not, Because this is what Leah brought to the relationship that she had. Here's a revelation in the Bible. We have a woman named Hagar. This woman named Hagar was a uh, handmaiden to Sarah. Uh, There's no children being born in the promise. uh, And after the custom of the day, uh, 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 Sarah gives Hagar to uh, her husband Abram to bear children. And, uh, and so Hagar, this is the custom of the, of the day, this was acceptable, and uh, she becomes pregnant, and as soon as she becomes pregnant, Sarah becomes mean as a snake. She begins to torment this poor maiden, and this maid flees, she can't stand it anymore, she runs out into the desert, she's perishing for thirst, uh, and as she's there weeping, suddenly God appears to her and shows her a well where she can draw refreshing water, and uh, she, uh, he does this in Genesis 16, 9. And, uh, and he spoke to her. And as he spoke to her in the well, uh, Lehehorai, I believe is, is the name of it, is the well of him who lives and sees me. And in Genesis 16, 9 says, The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit herself under her hand. Now this is a tremendous revelation. Because submitting to God always involves another person. See, we have this uh, American Christianity. Just Jesus and me. And we say, you know, this is our song. Just Jesus and me. That's all. Lord, I'm submitting to you. But you see, submitting to God always involves another person. It always involves other people. And so it's empty for you to say, yes, Lord, I surrender. I surrender, Lord. I surrender, Lord. Why don't you quit praying that God will kill him and uh, accept it and make it work? What? We don't like that. Don't bat your eyes at me. There are people right here. You've prayed that, that, that there be some circumstance that would remove you uh, honorably and, and uh, within the law. Because submitting to God always involves other people. And so we, hear, we see this tremendous revelation uh, that, uh, uh, that Hagar is here and she submits to God. And if she submits to God, God says, I want you to submit to this unpleasant circumstance and situation. You go back, submit yourself to Sarah, and you make it work. See, this is never so apparent as it is in marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. 
And these words preface the most elaborate instructions and detailed instructions about the marriage relationship in, in, the, uh, in the Bible. And, and the Apostle Paul is laying the foundation for all that he's going to say about marriage. And he prefaces it by this, this, this statement, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Aaliyah has a great deal to teach us in modern society about God and about marriage and about life. I want to ponder with you for a moment the God who rules and overrules that we see in this text. Every situation of life is viewed by this generation as being right now. This is the now generation. We, uh, we have the idea that, uh, that, uh, that uh, everything ought to be focused on what I'm feeling. Everything ought to be uh, focused on what I'm experiencing. Everything ought to be focused on, on what, what I'm seeing. Right now, this is the now generation, and everything in life is focused on the right now. But you see, there are crucial decisions and actions that are made on that criteria. You miss God a million miles. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I want to read some wisdom from Solomon. Listen to these words. To everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Now, this generation, which is the now generation, that is so focused upon self and its own needs and wants and desires, misses God because we cannot understand that there are seasons in life and those seasons in life work in the plan of God. So we need to look at the big picture that we hear, see here. This is found in Genesis 49. I'm going to just quote one verse from it and you'll understand it. Jacob is getting ready to die. He is not in the land of Israel. He's in Egypt. He's in Goshen. He gives some instructions about his burial, and he makes a statement in Genesis 49, There I buried Leah. Now let me read this text to you. This is found in Genesis 49, 29. Then he charged his sons, and he said to them, I'm to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in a cave, in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with a field of Ephron uh, of the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. Now this is, a, this is a profound revelation. Because Rachel is buried in Bethlehem, some 30 miles from this place. This place is the cave of Machpelah. It today is, uh, has a building which is called the uh, Mosque of Abraham. And all these graves are still there today. I've been there. Uh, we could not go the last time I went to Israel because it's a, a very uh, volatile situation and they didn't want anybody up there because at the moment it wasn't safe. But I've been there. I've walked through the mosque. I've looked into the tombs where they have these people still there in that place of sacred honor as they were taken there at the cave of Machpelah and they're, they're honored in the, in the most honored place that perhaps of many people that are born in the world. Now, Rachel was buried in Bethlehem. So this is, uh, this is very fitting because what we see here is the end of the story. And somehow...
change of status between Leah and Rachel, and instead of being second fiddle, Leah now has been given a, 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 a first place and a place of honor, and he gives specific instructions, and, and, he, and, he, and he says, now remember, both of these women are now dead. They've both been buried. He has supervised the burying of both of these women, and he gives instructions, and he says, Don't bury me with Rachel. Bury me with Leah. Now, that has profound consequences. Remember, Rachel was Marilyn Monroe. She's the, the, the body girl, the great body, cover girl. Every man's dream. She's lost the place of honor. And here, old weak eyes has the place of honor. Now, that's no accident in the Scripture. What that means uh, is that something that happened uh, in uh, the process of time. Jacob now is evaluating life, uh, and as he's back evaluating life, uh, he did not bury Rachel in uh, Abram's tomb and, uh, and with Isaac and, uh, and Sarah. He did not want her buried there. He buried her in Bethlehem. But when Leah died, he wanted Leah buried in that place. And when he gives his son's instructions in Egypt, says, when you carry me back up, I want you to bury me beside Leah. Now, something's happened in the process of time. And what has happened, undoubtedly, is this man has recognized the value and the worth of Leah. And what began as a dream turned sour has now become a blessing. This is undoubtedly because of Leah putting God first. This is undoubtedly because of her relying on God. And she's put God first in her life. And God has worked a wonderful miracle in this relationship so that she no longer was second fiddle, but she's taken the place of honor in that marriage relationship. See, there are people sitting right here that I know Five or ten years ago, your marriage was a hopeless case, you thought. Your marriage was trashed, and it was ripped. But you're here this morning, healed, blessed, and so thankful to God that you kept your relationship, raised your family, and you went the course. And you're sitting here today, and I know many of you, and have counseled many of you personally in your marriage relationship Five or ten years ago, you were basket case in your marriage, but you're not today. Are you following me this morning? See, marriage is not just for self-gratification. Many people marry, and the reason they marry, uh, they think, and the only reason they want to stay married is for self-gratification. You see, marriage has many purposes, one of which is a refuge for rearing children. That's very, very high on the list of priorities with God. Because God is very concerned about the children of our generation. And I want to tell you that He's looking down upon you this morning, and He does care. And if you stay married, and you make your marriage work for no other reason than to rear your children honorably, you have accomplished a great task for God. Another reason for marriage is that it is the undergirding cohesion of society. There are, whole, uh, there are whole sections of our nation that they view marriage, or what they would call marriage, is nothing more than a breeding farm because they never do get married. All they do is uh, copulate together and produce illegitimate children, and there's whole sections of cities in our country. This has become the lifestyle. But I want to tell you that uh, marriage is the undergirding cohesion of society. I'm not talking about copulating. I'm not talking about furnishing sperm or breeding. I'm talking about marrying, saying, I do. And before God and man and society, you've done a contract and you sealed it and you keep the contract. It is an undergirding cohesion of society. And much of the crime, the drug problem... The drive-by shootings, the prison population escalating is directly related to that problem is that our generation does not recognize that marriage has the element of cohesion of society and when there is not that element, the society disintegrates and degenerates. 
Most importantly, marriage is a workshop of character. It is in the marriage relationship that God forces us to live with other people. Amen. Forces us to consider that there's someone else in life besides the, the great number one. It is in the marriage relationship that God shapes and chisels character and forms character, and this is done most powerfully when people make a commitment, and many times that commitment is in a dream gone sour. But in that dream gone sour, they discipline themselves, they give themselves to that relationship, and God works something in their character. See, this generation says, what do I get out of this? Well, uh, there's all kinds of benefits. I don't have the time to tell you this week or next week or the week after that, but there's billions of benefits. But if nothing else is accomplished, God works on your character. He forces you to get along with other people. He forces you to consider somebody besides your own self-gratification. So here's Leah, and Leah's character is a hallmark story because if you read the history of these two women, Rachel is very selfish, Rachel is demanding, Rachel is very manipulative, you can read her history, and uh, Rachel, uh, Rachel, this is her history, but Leah cries out to God. Not only this, but we find out that Rachel was an idolater. When Jacob's leaving Uncle Laban's house, he's going back to the promised land. It was Rachel who stole the idols out of her father's house and hides them among the baggies. You don't find that about Leah. You find Leah crying out to God. You find Leah putting her trust in God. You find Leah mentioning God and the naming of her children. And the naming of her children are, are, are signposts of the progression of this woman's faith. But you never find that about Rachel. You find that she's selfish. You find out she's demanding. You find out she's manipulative. And undoubtedly, this is why there's a change of place of honor in the marriage. And, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, we find these revelations. And finally, we find Leah at the place of honor. And Jacob giving directions that he's to be placed in the tomb besides uh, Leah. See, the point that we have here is that God's hand is at work in people. We've studied in our knowing God. If you're missing these studies in the adult Bible class, I urge you to come. This is not just killing time. This is wonderful. I'm, I'm enjoying immensely this study. And we've studied that God is a sovereign God. And that's what we found out. God's a sovereign God. And this sovereign God, in the story that we have, He's at work in people who will go the distance. That's what we find in Leah. Someone wrote an interesting statement. said, there is a beauty given at birth, and there is another beauty, which is a beauty of godly character. A beauty that is given at birth may seem very appealing outwardly, and, and I'm not opposed to folks being attractive and good-looking. You know, there's no premium on being ugly as a frog, but... Uh, but you see, there is another beauty in life, and that beauty is the beauty of a godly character. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 says this, if you bear with me. Wives, be submissive to your own husband, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on a fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the inward, uh, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any care. Who? You read those words, it's like reading this generation, you're speaking Chinese. See, that goes cross-grain with the women liberals, with the uh, career girl, 
with the, I need mine. I'm, I'm, I've got to be fulfilled. I've got to have expression. And, and, uh, and all of these can be worked out in the process of submission to God. But I want to tell you that that's in the Word of God. That's the same Word of God that said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's the same Word that brings you salvation says to you, this is what you need to put emphasis on is your character development. There's a poem that I want to share again this morning. You've heard it before, but it'll bear uh, reading again. It's called The Tapestry of Life. And this is actually what this story is all about when the, when the dream turns to a nightmare. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I do not choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaves a sorrow, and I am foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper, but I the underside. The dark threads are as needful in the skillful weaver's hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. Not until each loom is silent and shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the pattern and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver for the pattern he has planned. Here's a beautiful story. This beautiful story is of a woman who went to court. She went to distance. And the irony in this is that God chose... See, the story doesn't just end here. God chose this unwanted wife as the channel, as the channel for not only bearing Judah, but she also bore King David in that lineage, and in that lineage, Jesus was birthed in that same lineage for the salvation of both men and women. And who is to say this morning as we're gathered in this place that even our most unsatisfying relationships are not part of God's plan for redeeming us in future generations? See, the problem with the now generation is it's our gratification. It's our desire. It's our wishes. It's our pleasure. But you see, life is far more than these three score and ten years that we live here. There's an eternity, and God is working His purpose among those upon planet Earth. And that purpose this morning has to do with each of us as individuals making choices that are right with God. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. No one's moving around for a moment. No one's looking around. The Holy Spirit touches your heart this morning. When the dream turns to nightmare, you're going to need God. And there are people that are, that are seated here this morning. First of all, you feel the presence of the Lord. You feel the blessing of the Holy Spirit. You're not born again. But God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The message of the gospel is the message of God's wonderful love, His reaching out towards you to bring you to Himself. The message of the gospel is not religious works or religious calisthenics or uh, religious uh, duties. The message of the gospel is that God loves you. He gave His Son a sacrifice to die on Calvary's tree for you. Maybe this morning life finds you in a circumstance it may not be marriage but it finds you in a circumstance of desperation filled with heartache guilt shame and sorrow i want to tell you god loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life but he needs you to respond to his love i'm not asking you this morning to join a church i'm not asking you to sign a creed i'm asking you to make a decision to turn from your sin and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are people here this morning that you are not born again, but you'd like to be. You, you don't understand all that I've said this morning, but you'd really like to know Christ is your Savior. You'd like my prayer as I conclude this. I want you to slip your hand up and hold it right there where you are and say, Yes, Pastor, would you pray for me tonight? I'm not right with God, but I want to be right. I want you to slip your hand up right there where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you, but God will touch you and, and He'll... He'll, he'll make a wonderful experience for you this morning. He'll wash your sins away. He'll make you clean. 
He'll bless you in an abundance and give you peace. I wonder how many. Lift your hand right while we're waiting and say, Yes, Pastor, I need God. I, I'm not born again. I have no assurance of sin forgiven, but I'd like to have that. Or maybe you're a backslider. You at one time knew that experience, but this morning you do not have that. You'd like for me to pray for you in conclusion. Would you slip your hand up right there where you are and signal to God that you want to leave your sin and embrace Jesus Christ as Savior. You want to believe the gospel. Lift your hand quickly. Backslider, unsaved man, woman, boy or girl. There where you are, God's dealing with you. Amen. All right, just before I change this to other things, Perhaps you're here this morning and the dream has turned to a nightmare. You see, in our generation, this is excuse for adultery. This excuse for immediate quickie divorces. This is excuse for anything we want to do. But you see, God is reaching out and He's touching hearts by His love and His grace. I wonder how many people this morning, God's dealing with your heart. In some degree or other, your dream has turned to a nightmare but God's touching you this morning, and you make a commitment. You're going you're gonna to make this thing work. You're going you're gonna to avail yourself of God. You're going to reach into God's resources, and even if you have a fairly good marriage, you're going to make it a better marriage because you see tremendous hope in this story of a little woman, unwanted and unloved, but who never lost her faith in God. You slip your hand up and say, Yes, Pastor, I recognize that this morning. Uh, I, I'm not uh, unsaved, I, I am saved, but this morning I recognize God's dealing with me. He wants my commitment to live for Him and to minister testimony for Him. And I'm going to live that, but if not, testimony for God, for family, for church, for society. And for God. You slip your hand up. Join B. Say, yes, Pastor. I, I'm going to go to court. Yes. You lift your hand up and say, yes, I want to join these, Pastor. Pray for me also this morning. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Will there be others? Join these. Yes, God bless you, others. Jesus is calling. See, it's marvelous once a decision is made. See, Leah made a decision in, in Levi's birth. That decision was that she was going to be attached and joined. She's going to make this work. And that's why she named this boy Levi. Would there be others? Quickly, I'm going to change this in a moment. You say, I'm making a commitment this morning to God. God's going to help me. I'm going to make this work. Amen. Let's stand together in the presence of the Lord. These altars are open. God's dealt with many hearts. You lifted your hand, or maybe you didn't lift your hand, but God's dealing with you. Come and find a place to pray. If you brought someone with you unsaved, turn to them and gently invite them to come to Jesus and come down and pray with them. Oh, how I love Jesus. Let's sing that. These altars are open. You come right now. Oh, how I love Jesus. And oh, how Praise God. Father, touch these dear people that have responded this morning to conviction of the Holy Spirit. Reach deep in their hearts, I pray. May every facet of anguish and heartache be ministered to this morning. May every misunderstanding, may every difficulty, Lord, may every self-interest yield to the love of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. Bless these homes. Minister this morning to these marriages and these individuals that have bowed their knees. I pray, Lord, right now that you will touch both men and women. You will cause the glory of God to enter their home and the presence of the Lord to minister and bring healing and deliverance and blessing and mercy and grace into these relationships and into these homes. Help them they may bear your glory and exalt your name and speak of the testimonies of the living God, not only now, but in generations to come should Jesus tarry. Father, bless these dear people that have been touched and are bowing in these altars. I pray that the angel of God will wonderfully minister before them. 
Move in their circumstances, uh, and I pray that you'll fill them afresh and anew with the strength of the Holy Spirit. They'll bear the candle of the Lord to a generation that lives in darkness and desperation. Blessed we pray, for I've asked this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all lift our hands and thank God for touching these people. Amen. Thank you for moving upon these lives and ministering to hearts, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Just before I change the service, I want to pray for any visitors that are here this morning. If you need to be healed in your body, have a sickness, an injury, an infirmity, and you're visiting today, you don't normally attend our church, but if you're here today, you need to be healed. I want to pray for any new converts that you've been a short time in our church and you need a healing in your body you want me to pray i want you to come i want to pray for anyone who's been injured in the last short while the last few weeks and uh, you want me to pray with you that god will heal you you've been injured in your body in some way okay you folks can be seated the lord bless you yes i bet and what do you mean has memory loss and hasn't been able to eat Okay. She's come this morning because you want Jesus to help you. Is that right? God bless you. Stretch out your hand toward this dear lady right now and help me pray. I want you to pray with me. In the name of Jesus, I take dominion over hatred and bitterness and fear. I forgive those that have sinned against me. And I come against this condition. You tormenting spirit, I break the curse. I break the curse. Right now, cast you out. I speak healing to my mind by the blood of Jesus. I claim a recovery.